don't want to learn to come to church. We want to learn to be the church. We hope as a result of the time we spend together that you would connect a little bit more with God, with each other, and with your purpose. This is the Community Church Podcast. I'm Jim Miskevich here with the Community Church Podcast with Dennis Harsel and Chris Graham. And we're here to talk about Ephesians, uh, the next paragraph, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Last time uh, we talked about Ephesians 1, we got through the whole chapter, about the Trinity's plan for adopting us. And that kind of continues in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Um, The big idea is kind of kind of depressing at the beginning and then uplifting toward the last couple of verses. Guys, my big idea, the sentence that I had was God raised us up from the dead. Dead was said a couple of times in there. Um, God is the one that saves us. God is the one that made us um, one with Christ. Um, As with chapter number one, the phrase God prepared beforehand, again, with chapter number one, it incorporates that this was not, you know, plan B, plan C, that God uh, did this ahead of time, and that is not up to us. It is solely through him. So my big idea is God raised us up from the dead. Dennis, what do you think? Uh, well, hey, I like the first verse, even, uh, like you say, to follow your uh, theme there for the chapter, or the first part of it. Uh, you made, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And my question uh, to myself was, how can a living person uh, be dead? And I thought of the illustration of a corpse in a casket. Um, if you uh, walk up to a corpse in a casket and poke it with a needle, uh, it's not going to move. If you uh, put... Uh, salt and pepper, put pepper under his nose, he's not going to sneeze type of thing. And uh, so what what uh, Paul is talking about, I think, here is the uh, how a person is spiritually dead, uh, even though they're physically living. And so that's kind of, I, I agree with you, that's kind of the theme of this first part, I thought. The next question I want is, what did I learn about God? Um, I, uh, the phrase that I really uh, enjoyed was from verse 4. It says, but God being rich in mercy. God is full, complete mercy. We were dead. We had no value. Um, when I go to a uh, you know, funeral home for a viewing, um, I really don't like <laughs> looking at the dead person. I'll be honest, I try to talk to the, the family and the friends. I, I don't stop by. There, there's no joy in looking at a dead person. And God Um, He did not raise us up from uh, the dead because we did anything great. It is all because of his uh, riches in mercy. Dennis, what did you learn uh, about God from this this, uh, chapter? Well, it's something I've known, but something that just uh, became uh, appreciative again of verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, especially this time of year as we think about Easter and the resurrection and how just what a, a wonderful thing it is that uh, God in his grace uh, saved me, that he uh, raised me to two, new life. Uh, even as, a, as I refer back to verse 1, uh, 
where it talks about he has made us alive, that could be connected to the verses in John that talk about being born again or a new birth or as sometimes we use the word saved. And the idea that uh, Jesus came to die for our sins, to pay for those sins because we've offended a holy God. And that uh, if we trust him to forgive those sins and believe that he uh, rose from the dead, uh, then we're saved or we're born again. So the whole idea that by God's grace, he can make us alive spiritually uh, just uh, overwhelms me. So the question I have uh, from this passage for you guys is, can unsaved people who do not follow Jesus, can unsaved people do anything right? What are your thoughts? Well, I'd refer to verse 2 and answer that question. Uh, Paul is telling these uh, Ephesians who he spent a couple years living with that uh, they were dead. They were dead spiritually. But in verse 2, he describes what it was like when they were dead. He says two things. He says, you once walked according to the course of this world. What he means by that is you walked according to the uh, the uh, principles of this world according to the flesh and then he says not only that you walked according to the prince of the power of the air which most uh, Bible commentators believe that refers to Satan himself and how he works in uh, the lives of people in this world and so uh, just the idea that um, we are uh, uh, walked according to the course of this world tells me that there's no way we could be pleasing to God if we walk if we walked before we became a believer, according to the course of this world. In fact, in verse 3, uh, to answer your question, Jim, he says, uh, you were by nature children of wrath. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful statement to call somebody <laughs> a child of wrath. And yet, the Bible paints the picture like it is. It, that's what we were. So to answer your question, I think these verses help to answer that that before we became believers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we did things and were motivated by things uh, uh, by that the world uh, used to mo uses to motivate. And we weren't doing things to please God, but once you are born again, the things you do, you do to please God. So you're gonna, you're gonna say no? Yes, I'm okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah, very good, very good. Very Thank good. you. Thank you. Um, from from my perspective, I'm going to be a great politician. I'm going to be I'm going to be a great <laughs> politician. I'm going to say yes and no. Obviously, in these verses, it's a fairly bleak picture in verses you know one through three of how terrible we are before God saves us through Christ. But I I I have to look in the world and I can see through you know disasters that people give sacrificially of themselves who uh, people you know, die for other people, I can't say that that is a, a bad thing. I, I don't even see it as a selfish thing. Sometimes people will do, hey, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Um, but also, you know, in these verses it says uh, that we are uh, carrying out the desires of our own body and we're, yes, we're children of wrath. Th this is what I'll, I'll, I'll get to my yes and no. I think we can reflect a little bit of God's image, even if we're unsaved. Uh, all the way back in Genesis, I believe that we that mankind is special, that we are made in God's image, that we can reflect like a mirror a little bit of what God is like. We're obviously not going to be perfectly like God, but we can reflect something. But then when we are born or when we sin, uh, that mirror is shattered. We're not going to get a complete picture, but every once in a while... 
we can have this little bit of reflection. So I'm not going to say that an unsaved person never does anything quote unquote good. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that everything that they do is terrible or selfish. Um, I will say that yes, they, they are dead, that they have no chance of going to heaven. They have no chance to have a relationship with God until they acknowledge that Christ is their only way to heaven. So I, I'll say a yes and no with that. Let me just uh, change the question slightly, uh, and maybe this is the way I heard it. Do, can an unsaved person please God? And, and your question was, can they do good? And so uh, I agree, totally agree with you if, if the question is, uh, can they do good? Yes, for sure. They can do good for all mankind by doing good things. But the, if the question is, can they please God? Uh, I think the answer is no. They're not. It all depends on motive. And he's telling what their motives here. It's completely of the world, and it's not uh, have doesn't have anything to do with trying to please God. So I agree with you 100%. If the question is can they do good, but if the question is can they please God, I think the answer is no because they're they're children of wrath. Yeah, I, I agree with Dennis. I think the other thing to remember too is I mean if uh, you go back to the story of Joseph, his brothers, what they did was meant for evil, but he even said what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. So I would think that God can also use things that unsafe people do for good reasons for also uh, good just if, if he can use it for e- if people who are unsafe can use it for evil intent but God still interprets that or can um, bring good about it he can do the same thing if it's a good action so yeah I think unsafe people can still do good but I agree with Dennis it goes back to like the motivation and really is it pleasing to God well there's no relationship there so that's true there's definitely no relationship um, or at least a quality one uh, between people who don't believe in Jesus and God before people uh, accept Christ. Um, I don't know exactly what people's motives are when, when you know someone dies for somebody else. I'm not going to say that they're selfish. No. Um, but uh, I, it's definitely an interesting thing that I don't have a complete answer to because I definitely see people through this crisis being uh, sacrificial, people going, you know, nurses and doctors every day go into uh, to war um, and that, that doesn't seem like a, a selfish act, but there's also this, um, God definitely wants to get a, the picture that is not the good that you do that brings a right relationship. So the question I have, it, it might not have much practical, uh, but it, it's something interesting to think about, but it definitely says in the verses that the good that you do, even if you're maybe we'll argue, some people are like, well, it's not even good. The things that you do do not bring a good relationship uh, between you and God. It's only by grace that you have been saved. It is not your own uh, doing. It is the gift of God. Um, and if you don't like that, you can you know you can come and talk to me. Uh, verse eight um, and nine, and that kind of points me to to the application. The the besides learning more about God is what is the application. So for me, the application can be very broad. Um, when studying the Bible, uh, I, I think that there's only one main idea. You've got to keep things in context. There's a reason why God wrote this. But the application can be broad. So for me is uh, verse 3 where it says that I once was a na- uh, by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, at times I think that I'm better than other people. I believe in Jesus. I do these good things. I definitely get a, a prideful um, sense of self. 
Um, so the application for me is to remember where I came from and try not to judge of others every time I think I might be better um, than them. I once was a child uh, like them. So my, my uh, application is that every time I, I see on Facebook, I see someone that I think does something stupid or selfish that I say the phrase, I once was a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, application, what do you think? Well, I, I like the idea of uh, verse, uh, let's see, was, uh, but God in verse 4, and you highlighted this already, but just to add to it a little bit, but God who is rich in mercy, I like to just sit there and just kind of revel in that. Uh, the fact, another translation said, but God who is wealthy in mercy, and that just kind of made it even more clear to me that God is just oozing mercy. He, that's, that's who he is. He is a merciful God. And so we who... Um, uh, sin against him against a holy god it's so refreshing to know that, that even though there's nothing we can do uh to earn his favor uh continuing in verse 8 then by his grace it, it's part of his being that he, he is wealthy in mercy and grace and he just uh, pours that out up upon us if we just believe that he is and he is the rewarder of those who seek him as the bible says so yeah that that's a just a wonderful thought to me can i add one more thing yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, in verse 10, it uh, says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. My understanding is this idea of workmanship has to do with the idea of a masterpiece. He created a masterpiece. In uh, he, We are his masterpiece creation, and he made us so that we could do good works. And again, it's not uh, so that uh, we're saved by our faith. In fact, John Calvin said, faith alone justifies but faith that justifies is never alone and the idea that uh, we can do nothing to earn our salvation our, our right relationship with christ and with god but that um, because he is uh, rich in mercy toward us um, we should also uh, be rich in good works uh, and pl trying to please him yeah, i think for me it being the, the idea of being rich in mercy and now that we also should really embody that and try and be merciful to others as well uh, as, as Jim kind of spoke on and you know seeing things on Facebook or out in life and so um, you know I need to look for ways to be more merciful because I know as a, as a teacher uh, you know part of your job is to really critique um, and sometimes that may be harsh criticism that students receive uh, you know is there a is there a softer word I could have used is there a different way I could have delivered the message um, but really it also goes back to the heart is my heart really being merciful and um, in, in trying to um, share the love of Christ with others I had a pastor friend who was a pastor for 35 years in the same church and uh, you know when you're a pastor as most of us can uh, guess uh, you you face people in our ungraceful I'll say toward you at times and he had on his computer screen he had written in bold letters a little uh, paper, piece of paper he had typed and put up at the top it said dispense grace and that's what he <laughs> tried to live by no matter how critical someone might be or uh, uh, down on him uh, he uh, he just tried to always dispense grace well we'd love to hear from you either if you are uh love the podcast hey keep it up um or you have some questions hey you didn't cover this in ephesians we'd love to come back and answer those questions so you can email us questions or positive responses at info at edwardsburg 
dot church and we'll get those emails we'd love to uh answer your your emails maybe at a special podcast or uh later on down the line that's info at evansburg dot church we can have our own mailbag session it's a podcast totally for mailbag that would be fantastic i mean i I would feel like a real podcast (laughs) then Um, there you go we would love we would love to you to read the section and come up with your own big idea, what you learned about God, send us your questions, um, have your own application. The next time that we have uh, our podcast, we'll cover the end of chapter number two in Ephesians 11 uh, through 22. Hey, just to add to your closing here, Jim, uh, if you have questions on salvation, if you have questions about what it means to be born again, to have the new birth, uh, boy, we'd love to answer that question for you. So uh, let us know if that's uh, on your mind about what it means to have a relationship with God or with Christ. Uh, next up is Dennis has his book review over maybe a controversial book. So not necessarily an easy read, but a, a book to get you thinking. Thanks for listening to us. This is Jim Miskiewicz, Dennis Hartzell, and Chris Graham. We'll be back after the break. Hey, everybody. I hope you're able to get some book time in during these coronavirus days off. Uh, Whether you read them or listen to them, there are many books out there that are ripe with challenging thoughts. I'm going to review one such book today. I'm wading into a theological minefield with today's book review. Uh, Please stay with me until the end. Uh, I'm reviewing Andy Stanley's nonfiction book entitled Irresistible. Uh, There are many well-respected Christians on both sides of, shall we say, the theological line in the sand that Andy Stanley draws to challenge many of our long-held evangelical beliefs. Uh, The bottom line is that Reverend Stanley is challenging how many of us have viewed the relationship of the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. Uh, Before continuing the review of the book Irresistible, I would like to mention a few of the people in the opening pages who recommend this book. Uh, You will likely recognize many of these names. Uh, Mark Burnett, a successful Christian TV producer, and his wife, Roma Downey, who is uh, most well-known for her Christian films and appearances. Uh, Reggie Joyner, the founder and CEO of The Orange Organization. Uh, Craig Grishel, the pastor of Life Church. Uh, John Maxwell, the famous author of books on leadership. And lastly, uh, Glenn Kreider, the professor of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. Two of the author's reasons for writing this book, I believe, are to answer these two questions. Is this post, in this post-Christian culture that we find ourselves living in, why isn't the church in America connecting with the current culture? Or secondly, why is the church so, quote, resistible, unquote? We all know church attendance is down in America and many doubt the authority of the scriptures. In an effort to answer his own questions as to why the church is so, again, quote, resistible, unquote, Pastor Stanley attempts to educate all of us on the view we should have on the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament. He believes that the view commonly taught for centuries has been faulty, and he believes his, this inaccurate view of the two covenants have led to 
many non-believers to disregard the message of the gospel. Uh, the author's premise is that, quote, many outside the church have a favorable view of Jesus. They don't necessarily have a favorable view of his body, the church, unquote. Uh, he, concludes, he concludes that many more people would respond to the gospel message if we presented the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament in a different way. Um, probably the most controversial statements in the book are these. Uh, quote, we need to take the focus off the Bible and put it on the resurrection. And he's talking there especially of the Old Testament. Second, um, a controversial statement maybe, people don't need to believe the Bible to become Christians. They only need to believe in the resurrection. Uh, let me give my two cents on what we can learn from this book. What Pastor Stanley is really saying is that when you are sharing the gospel with someone, don't get caught up in trying to defend or explain any Old Testament roadblocks that an unsafe person may throw out there and get distracted from explaining the importance of the gospel and especially the resurrection. I get what he's saying. Uh, maybe you have experienced the same thing I have when attempting to explain God's love uh, for people and his plan for salvation. Uh, I can't count the times that someone I am sharing the gospel with brings up seeming contradictions or questions about the Old Testament and how the God of the Bible ordered whole towns to be slaughtered, including women and children and animals. Or they bring up Old Testament miracles and explain how there is no way they could accept such stories as true. Or bringing up the idea of a six-day creation, how they cannot ever get past that hurdle. So because of this book, when I am sharing the gospel, I try now not to let the conversation get sidetracked about things that are hard to understand, even for long-time believers, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, Mr. Stanley, Pastor Stanley has challenged me to rediscover the importance of the gospel. He has changed how I read the Old Testament and relate it to the New Testament. Jesus did say that he had a new commandment, and he did say you can't pour old wine into new wineskins, and it is called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant for some reason. Let me say you have to love Andy Stanley's heart for the unsaved. He is trying to understand why the presentation of the gospel isn't more effective. But like the old Randy Travis song, on the other hand, Pastor Stanley seems to take some liberties with the scriptures that stretch my understanding of the Old Testament and New Testament and how they are related. Uh, here's just a couple examples. Uh, the Ten Commandments are still relevant for today, and I often use them to explain what it means for our sins to be against a holy God. Uh, Jesus referred to the Old Testament often as true and from the very breath of God. Um, lastly, uh, we can't, uh, an example is we can't unhitch the Old Testament and the New Testament from the New Testament like Pastor Stanley seems to be suggesting. Jesus' authority is linked to the truth of the Old Testament because, because he quoted from it often during his time on earth. There are other illustrations I could give, uh, but in summation, I enjoyed the book greatly. It challenged my theological hairs and stretched my thinking. Anytime I read the Old Testament now, I cannot help but read it through the challenging lens of this book I've just reviewed. I give the book a five out of five for giving me a new way to look at something I have loved for a long time, namely the stories of the Old Testament. Thank you, Andy Stanley, for writing Irresistible. Let me just end this uh, segment by saying in the future, uh, I'll review a book by John Maxwell called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. Join us next week as we also look at the uh, end of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Let me remind you to stay connected to God, stay connected to each other, 
and stay connected to your purpose. Thank you for listening and keep listening for the trumpet. Thank you.